It is a delight to be with you guys tonight. I know every speaker says that, but it's really true um, for me. I am a community life pastor at the Chapel Hill Bible Church, and a number of you uh, worship there with me, and that is uh, terrific. It's great, great to be on your turf tonight. Hey, special shout out to the balcony. Yo, we really appreciate you guys being up here. Yeah, that's right. We don't want you to feel shunned or excluded from the rest of the group because you're up there, although I'm probably done making eye contact with you for the rest of the night. Okay. Um, uh, you, you would not know from uh, looking at me that I have ever played organized basketball in my life. Um, although, I may be short, I am slow. I am deceptively slow. I could take charges from guys when I was trying to get out of their way. And it was when I was playing organized basketball for the first time in my life in middle school. That was also the last time in my life, but hey. Uh, I became came familiar with something that coaches call white line syndrome. And this is something that actually happens at middle school level of basketball and high school levels of basketball and collegiate levels of basketball and even in the NBA. White line syndrome. Here, here's exactly how this works. And maybe you're, maybe you're not familiar with this, but this happens, just trust me. What happens is, it's in like the last minute of a tight game, okay, and your team has the ball. And I remember this very well, like it was yesterday. Okay, our team would get the ball. Our coach would call timeout, right? Because we needed a score on this possession if we had any shot of winning the game. So the coach would call timeout, and he would draw up a play in our huddle. He said, okay, uh, Williams, you set a screen. Ward, you throw the ball inbounds. Lee, you come around that screen. You catch the ball. And if you're open, shoot it. If you're not, you hit Smith cutting the basket for a layup. We'll win the game. And everybody in the huddle is like, yeah, yeah, coach. Okay, yeah, got it, got it. Okay, on team, on three. One, two, three, team, go, team. And then we would step onto the court across that white line. And poof, it just done fell right out of our head. And somebody would throw the ball, and I'd catch the ball. Like, what am I supposed to do? What did Coach tell me? Coach, what did you tell me? No! Clock's running down. You throw it to some other guy. You throw it back to you. Nobody wants to shoot. Okay, we'll just jack it up there and hope for the best. White line syndrome. It happens in the NBA. Pat Riley told a story about it. Some guy, he was in a huddle, drawn up the play. One of the players thought they knew the play. He was checking out the cheerleaders while Pat Riley was talking. <clears throat> Calls time in. Guy comes, the guy doesn't know what he's supposed to do, forgets what Pat Riley said to him, and Pat Riley comes back and says, okay, you pull, out, you pull it off again, you're going to wind up in Memphis. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I think white line syndrome is a spiritual reality as well. Okay? And here's how it works. If you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, I bet you can relate to this. You go and you, you come to InterVarsity, you hear talk, right? Or you go to a church and you have a really meaningful worship experience. Or you just have a time of prayer or a time where you're reading the Bible and God meets you there. You just have a really strong sense of God's presence and you have a, really a real uh, conviction. It's, maybe it's an encouragement. Maybe it's an inspiration. Maybe it's a, it's a, oh man, I need to make some changes in my life from this. And maybe you even have a plan of how you're going to do it, right? And then something happens. You leave the room. You walk into the parking lot. You leave the building. You get up and go to class. You go to work. And somewhere in there, you step across an invisible white line. And what you were so resolved to do, that feeling you had being really close to God, poof, it's gone. And what do you do about that? How, how, how do you 
How do you maintain a spiritual growth? How, how do you maintain a close walk with Jesus with this spiritual white line problem? It gets even worse for you guys. Because I think that coming to college is a big, thick, white line. And when you come to college, you step over this white line onto campus. I've seen it again and again and again. I know it was true of me, too. When you leave home, you come out of that huddle, and you come to college, suddenly you're on your own. <coughs> Excuse me. You're on your own, and either you will be forced into a closer relationship with God, you'll be drawn into a search to find out who God really is, or you'll kind of functionally forget about God, no matter what's been going on in your life before. So what do we do about white line syndrome? Is there an antidote? Is there a, a way that we can grow spiritually that we often miss or don't understand or don't think about? I think there is, and it's in the passage that Tony just read from Ephesians 4, which the Apostle Paul writes. Here's what he says. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Very important little thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul doesn't say that these gifts that Jesus gave were the gifts of prophecy and the gifts of apostleship, the gift of teaching. He says the gifts are prophets, apostles, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. And he's not talking about people who have those titles. He's just talking about people who are like that. Jesus gives people as God's gifts to us. People are God's gifts to you and me, not functions. Two inescapable conclusions we have to see from this right here. People are God's gift from us. That means, God's gift to us, that means you are God's gift to others. Now, some of you heard me say that, and you're thinking, thank you! <laughs> see, he said it. I know it's true. If everybody else would just live like that, my life would be a whole lot easier. We'd all get along a lot better. Some of you hear me say, you are God's gift to others, and quietly in your heart, you think, hmm, some gift. People knew what was going on with me, really. Uh, they'd want a gift receipt so they could take me back. But either way, however you respond to that, you have a, a part to play in God's kingdom, in Christ's body, you are important because you are God's gift to others. How many of you have seen the 2002 movie Drumline? You ever seen that movie? Yeah, great flick. Um, if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. <clears throat> Drumline is talking about the, the talented percussionist from Harlem who gets a scholarship to play in a band in Atlanta A&T's marching band. And there's this wonderful scene, this long crane tracking scene in Drumline, where all the new students are coming together and the band is coming together for the first time and they're going through orientation and they're going through drills. And they're broken up into different sections by instrument, right? And so the section leaders are huddled in these various sections of this big football field. And each leader is articulating with a sense of pride and uniqueness 
their unique instrument, their responsibility of their instrument, the importance of their instrument to the band. And what you see is a camera just kind of pans over the field, and you can hear these section leaders talk one at a time. And the first are the trumpets. And the trumpet section leader is saying, trumpets are the voice of the band. We are the melody. We are the clarity. And the camera goes on, and you get to the tuba section leader. And tuba section leader is saying the same thing. He says, tubas are the most important instrument in the band. We're the boom. And he goes past the saxophone leaders. Saxophone leaders, hey, saxophones, man, saxophones, where it's at. Saxophones are the truth, the funk, and the hook. I don't know what he means, but that's what he said. <laughs> and then you get to the percussionists, right? The percussionists are surrounding their section leader, and they're clapping in rhythm with a beat, right? And the percussion leader says, we are the heart and the soul. Without the percussionist, there's no life in the band. band doesn't move. band doesn't come alive. And he puts his fingers on the neck of one of the freshmen. And he says, percussion is the pulse. Without a pulse, you're dead. Each member, each section, understands how vitally important they are to the band. Each person in the body of Christ is vitally important to the body of Christ, has a vital role to play. Each person in this InterVarsity chapter is vitally important to this chapter, has an important role to play because you are God's gift to others. And there's a corollary to that. One you might not find so popular. Other people are God's gift to you. Other people are God's gift to you just like you're God's gift to others. French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre famously said, hell is other people. <laughs> Sartre was not the type of guy you'd want to share a hot dog with on your weekend. Hell is other people. Jesus says, my gift is other people. I mean, you look at people in the scripture who are like lauded as these great spiritual giants. They never went it alone. I mean, who else did Adam need? Right? Adam, created by God, perfect world, untarnished by sin, and horrible, wicked things. Hadn't happened yet. It wasn't enough. Adam knew God perfectly. He talked with God every day. Still needed Eve. Still needed a companion. <coughs> What about Moses? Moses, great leader, people of Israel. Moses think he was up to the task by himself? He did not. Moses needed a guy named Aaron. Come alongside of him. Do some talking for him. So I know some guy who could go it alone. Jesus, right? Jesus could go it alone. Jesus was the Lone Ranger. Je no. No. Jesus didn't just wander around by himself and teach these big masses of people. Jesus recruited a team. Jesus needed Peter and James and John and the rest of those guys. In fact, in the hour of Jesus' deepest need, when he was praying before he was going to be arrested and crucified, he was relying on those guys, saying, guys, I need you to pray. And he got upset with them when they didn't come through for him. So I want you to take a second and look around. You don't need to look at me right now. I'm not that much to look at anyway. Look around. The people around you, some of whom you don't even know yet, 
are gifts to you from Jesus Christ. Noodle on that for a second. Okay. So we're gifts to each other from God. Got that? Why? So what? What purpose? Paul says, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then... We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Stop there for a second. People, God's gift to you, and you, God's gift to other people, are God's plan A for spiritual growth. I used to think that. I bet a lot of you don't think that either. Here's my deal. When I was in college back when we had to use abacuses and stuff like that. Um, I fell into, early in my uh, time at college, I fell into a rather serious depression. I did. I, I can explain to you in psychological terms why that was now, from hindsight. At the time, though, it felt very spiritual. It felt very spiritual oppress- spiritually oppressive. And so I didn't know what to do about it, so I prayed real hard for God to just kind of zap me. And make me better. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for God to just sort of make this depression lift. He did not do that for me. I read my Bible a lot. And my Bible would lead me back to pray. So I'd pray a lot, read my Bible a lot, pray a lot, read my Bible a lot. Ask God, relieve me of this depression. Lift me up out of this pit. He didn't do that. And I felt like he was kind of abandoning me. It's like, God, aren't you hearing me? I'm depressed. Hello? should be answering my prayers, right? This is not good therapy, God. But here's what God did do. God gave me two spiritual mentors in the form of grad students through my university chapter. And he gave me some terrific peer friendships through a small group that I was involved in at the time. And then later, I became roommates with this group of guys and was able to talk with them about what was going on with me, and they prayed for me. And they talked with me, and they loved me well. And through my spiritual mentors and my friends, that depression lifted. Depression went away. And, you know, for a long time, I thought, eh, I'm getting better, and that's great. Thank you, God, for that. I guess I didn't merit God's plan A, which is just kind of supernatural zap. I I thought that God using people in my life, I, I thought it was God's plan B. I thought that when God would supernaturally intervene, that's his plan A, and when he uses people, that's inferior, that's less desirable plan B. It's like one is eating at, you know, Burger King, and the other is eating at the Angus barn. It's like one is driving a Hyundai and the other is driving a Lexus. It's like one is going to Carolina and another is going to Duke. (laughs) Know your audience, right? Um, (laughs) Then I got to Ephesians 4, got to this passage. And I realized that, hey, people aren't God's plan B. People aren't God's consolation prize. People are God's plan A for spiritual growth. 
The other people, people in here, the people in this room you just looked at, people at your church back home, if you had a church back home, people at my church, Chapel of Bible Church, people at other churches, God works through people. God's grace travels horizontally. He comes to live inside people through His Holy Spirit. He lives out His plan through us in this really weird ragtag thing called the body of Christ. And so it's on us, people, to help one another grow in Christ. It's on me, it's on you guys. Upperclassmen, how many upperclassmen in the room? Show of clients, yeah, okay. Upperclassmen, you define that how you want. You know, who's somebody that you're investing in? Okay, you're here, you've been around the block at least once. You sort of get it, right? Who's somebody who's younger than you that you're investing your life in? Uh, someone that you're kind of mother-henning. Uh, someone, and maybe they don't even understand it that way. Maybe, they, you know, you just somebody take an interest in somebody. And you talk with them, and you ask how they're doing, and you, you offer to pray for them. You offer to, you know, give them advice if they ask you for advice. Here's what I, I do so often. I'll, I'll stand aside from other people, people in my fellowship group, people in my church, and I'll say, wow, that person's really making bad decisions. That person's a real yutz. I'm sure glad that I'm not being as dumb as they are. And then I'll get this little God prompt, usually alongside of my head. And God will say, okay, David, what are you doing to help them make good decisions? What are you doing to love them well? What are you doing to support that person in a hard time? They may be going, you don't even know what's going on with that person, David, because you're not in a relationship with them. It's on us to help each other grow because God uses us that way. And so maybe you're frustrated with a lack of spiritual growth. Maybe you're frustrated with this white line syndrome, and you know, you, you make the determination, this year is going to, this semester is going to be different. And then three weeks into it, it's not so different. Maybe you've set spiritual goals for yourself, and you think, yes, I am going to be, and then, you, uh, you know, it's back to same old, same old. God gets crowded out. What are we going to do about it? What are we missing? Here's what I want you to take away from tonight. We need the body of Christ if we're going to grow in Christ. We need the body of Christ if we are going to grow in Christ. It's scriptural, it's simple. Easy to understand, takes some effort to do. In Chicago, they have these, what they call HOV lanes, high occupancy vehicle lanes. And they let you get to your destination a lot faster because you're not slowed down by these individual vehicles driven by these, you know, Chicago ones. And on the, on the highway to God's kingdom, God wants us to travel in high occupancy vehicles. When we're traveling this HOV lane, see, we can pass up a lot of these jams that these individual motorists get into. And if our car breaks down, hey, got somebody to call for help, somebody to spring for gas, somebody to get out and push. In Romans 12, uh, Paul, the same guy who wrote this, this passage, wrote, We, the many, are one body in Christ and individually members of each other. And this is a weird thing I can't get my mind around. He doesn't say we're like a body. He says we are a body. 
doesn't say we're, it's like we're members of each other. He says we are members of one another. You have Christ in you. I have Christ in me. We're part of the same body, and that can't be broken, and there's something really incredible about that a lot of times we don't tap into. Community with others is part of God's plan, God's created order. If you're independent from community with others, you're independent from Christ because he's present in his body. It's also independence from the way he meant for us to grow spiritually. You disconnect from the body, there's no growth. You sever from your body, and there's death. I mean, if you and I were to have a conversation after this meeting, and you were talking to me, and I was kind of listening to you, kind of doing this, kind of chewing on my nails, you probably wouldn't think too much about it. Might not even notice that. If, however, we were having a conversation, and during the course of our conversation, I pulled a Ziploc bag out of my pocket with a bunch of my fingernails in it, and started munching on them. <laughs> you think that's really gross. Why? Because things that are severed from the body are gross. They don't have life. They're dead. <laughs> you disconnect from the body, you don't grow. Disconnect from the body, there's death. Okay, serious question. People are God's plan A, not plan B for spiritual growth. If we're going to grow in Christ, we need the body of Christ. Okay, if you believe that, who are you going to invest in this semester? Think of a name. Who are you going to invest yourself in this semester? And if you're a new student, who are you going to allow to invest in you? And if you're not a new student, who are you going to allow to invest in you? Study hard, work hard, steward your time well, but make time for community. Often, people who teach from the Bible and they teach people how to grow spiritually completely overlook the role of the body. Oftentimes, people who are in therapy and counseling completely overlook the role of the body. And sometimes people say, oh, you don't really need community. Christ alone is sufficient. Christ's word is enough. Prayer is enough. Nothing wrong with those things are great. But the Bible teaches that all these things are part of the process, including other people. It's a biblical reality. You and I, we have to have community if we're going to grow in Christ. We need the body of Christ if we're going to grow in Christ. Without community, you won't be who God made you to be. And without you, the body of Christ won't be what it's intended to be. In February of next year, I'm going to hit a milestone birthday. I'm not excited about this. I'm going to turn the big 4-0, which means, yes, I am twice the age of just about everybody in this room. And back in my day, we used to... Anyway, I'm a fossil, I know, I'm dealing with it. But here's what I'm going to do. My beloved, wonderful wife, Angie said, hey, for your 40th birthday, if you want to get some guys and go road trip for a weekend, that would be fine with me. I'll take the kids. You just do that. And I said, yippee! So I'm going to get me eight guys, eight of my bestest friends in the whole wide world on the planet, and we're going to go away 
and uh, do what uh, old over the hill guys do, uh, which is get together and have what we deem to be fun and um, talk about the good old days, right? <laughs> it beats the alternative, which is not reaching 40. Okay, but here's the thing. I'm going to invite these eight guys. I've got a list. Okay, I've talked to some of them already. i got this plan. We're going to go try to see an ACC basketball game on the road. It's going to be really fun. Five of the eight on my list are guys I met in college. Five of the eight are my life friends, and I made these friends when I was in college. I have news for you. You are in what you will one day consider the good old days. <laughs> oh, the horror, the horror. <laughs> Who are you going to want to call on to have big life celebrations with you down the road? Maybe you don't know those people yet. But you have the opportunity to make those friends while you are a student, this semester, this year. And I'm going to tell you, InterVarsity is one of the best places to go looking. So here's the thing, and nobody's making me say this, okay? I just kind of caught what was going on. I just want to tell you, go to the NSR, okay? <laughs> go to your new student retreat, okay? Balcony, go to the new student retreat, okay? Right, you think, you know, there's, a lot, there's all kinds of reasons you can come. I say, I don't have time, but yes, you do have time to go to the new student retreat, okay? You can make, you make time for what's important in your life. I make time for what's important in my life, okay? Maybe it's inconvenience, but yes, you can find time. So I can't afford that. Yes, you can afford the new student retreat. We have scholarships. <laughs> ben will scholarship you. No, we have scholarships. Uh, we have scholarships, and the reality is you probably blow 25 bucks on the weekend anyway. You want to go to the NSR. My, f my eight friends, five of whom I met at college, those are guys that I have laughed with. Those are guys I have wept with. Those are guys I have stood beside them as they exchanged marriage vows. Those are guys who can call me at any time the dead of night and say, Dave, I need to talk to you. And likewise, those are guys I could pick up the phone and call any time, day or night, and share something wonderful or share something horrible, and they would still be there for me. We need the body of Christ if we're going to grow in Christ. One true story. Tammy Harris, when she turned 21, from, lived in Roanoke, Virginia, and she had been adopted, she began searching for her biological mother. After a year, Tammy had not had any luck, hadn't succeeded, and what she didn't know was that her mother, a woman named Joyce Schultz, had been trying to locate her daughter for over 20 years. And according to Associated Press story, there was one more thing that neither Tammy nor Joyce knew, that they were both co-workers at a convenience store in Roanoke, Virginia. And one day, Joyce overheard Tammy talking with another coworker about trying to find her birth mom. And soon they got together, they were starting to compare birth certificates. 
And when Tammy realized that the co-worker that she had known as just Joyce was actually her mother, they fell into each other's arms and held on tight, said we held on for the longest time. Tammy says, this was the best day of my life. Each week, we rub shoulders with people that we may barely notice. Pass them on the way to class, you see them in your dorm, see them when you're eating. But if those people share with you a new birth in Christ, if they share with you an eternal hope in Christ, those people are your dearest relatives. We need them. You need them. They need you. We need the body of Christ if we're going to grow in Christ. So let me pray for us to make this a reality. Lord Jesus, we rise up and sing to you. We look for your power in our lives. And Lord, so often you provide it in ways that we're not looking for. Father, please renew our understanding of the body of your Son, Jesus. Please move in us to take the time that it takes to invest in others and to be willing, vulnerable enough, humble enough to let others invest in us. Lord, it's a great privilege. It's a great responsibility. It's a great joy. It's something we can miss because we're very busy and we've got a lot going on. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to never be so busy that we don't have time for people that we don't have time to be part of your body the way you've outfitted us to be. Lord Jesus, I ask this very humbly, because I know what that's like. In your name, for all our sake. Amen. Thank you.